Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank and praise you for your goodness to us and your love. We thank you for the church you have given us here. And Lord, we just ask that you would make us faithful and give us strength to serve you. Bless this time as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Right. Take your lessons if you need one. Wave a hand there and uh, Leland uh, run one around to you. This is lesson four in our series on dispensation. What we're doing now is we're just going to go through the different dispensations as as are defined in the scripture. And uh, I believe that uh, you will see the pattern, though later once we begin to sum these things up, you will uh, I believe long before we get there, you will see the pattern that God reveals himself to mankind. He gives mankind commandments in the garden. He told Adam and Eve they were to dress and to keep the garden. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, that's all there was. There, there wasn't a, a, a thing, but... We have these continuing revelations, what we learned about God, His Word, and His work concerning mankind. This is in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, down to verse 22. It's, we, we learn that God is the Creator. There, there is nothing else. There's no argument here, no room for evolution, no room for anything. God creates everything that is. And God's words are law. God did not say, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, if you, if you want to find the greatest fulfillment in life, don't eat of the tree. No, he said, in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. And we went through, and they did. Uh, they did not die physically as we would, uh, uh, look at a person at a funeral. They, marred the image they were created in, the part of man that had relationship with God, the spirit of man, died. That changes everything, doesn't it? Man had already... uh, The devil wasn't lying when he said, ye shall become as gods, knowing both good and evil. But he was lying when he said, because he didn't... Tell Eve that once you know evil, you can no longer ever know good. You see, once you step over the boundaries, this is the last point here, you cannot go back. Uh, That's why all of these people who try to rebuild the Garden of Eden today... uh, we, we have a name for them affectionately. I, I believe this is Pennsylvania. It's called a loony kazuni. Uh, I mean, it is someone who has lost all sense of logic or understanding of anything that is necessary to live a normal life. And uh, you, you cannot go back. God instituted marriage. You say, well, what is the import? Well, we have people today... Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States redefined marriage a few years ago. You see, the Supreme Court of the United States does not have authority to redefine what God set up. You see, that's the difference between the founding fathers of this country 
and the people who think they're little gods running around today is they said that we are endowed with inalienable rights from our Creator. Now, the governor of the state of New York has given permission and legal uh, uh, endorsement for medical personnel and non-doctors to murder children in the state of New York. Uh, there's no other way to put it. That's what's going on here. This is terrifying. You, you need to pray. God's judgment comes upon people for the blood of the innocents. The greatest holocaust in the history of mankind is the murdering of innocent babies up until now before they were born. After the New York State law, they can be legally killed after they're born. This is where things are going. Uh, I don't know what the present count is, but it is well over 60 million babies have been aborted since 1973. Now, you stop and think about that. That's more people than died in World War II. On all sides. The number is somewhere around 60 million people. The, the number of abortions, I believe the last count I got, which was several years ago, was somewhere there and I'm sure has exceeded it by now. You see, we have to understand something. God is the creator. He is the giver of life. These are things that... God made very plain. He established marriage. At the end, God passed judgment and he said that the desire of the woman would be to her husband. That the husband was to take the leadership position in the marriage because Eve was deceived if we follow uh, Paul's teaching, but Adam wasn't. Adam knew what he was doing. He saw through the deception. And Eve did, Eve did not hear one word of rebuke, one word of censure, one word of caution from Adam. He just stood there and allowed her to be deceived and then willingly followed in the same sin. God says, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Your, your, your body is now going to die and return to the earth. But there was given a promise of the coming Savior. You cannot go back to the way it was. And so the second dispensation we call conscience. We call it the dispensation of conscience. Many of these terms were coined or first published by, by a fellow named uh, uh, Schofield around the turn of the last century, published in 1909. Now, just because we use some of his terminology or names, they are some of the best descriptive names that were chosen, does not mean we endorse everything Mr. Schofield believes. Mr. Schofield believes there was a gap of interminable time between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And Mr. Schofield was trying to reconcile the short time period in the Bible 
with the long time period that then was being developed by the people who were called evolutionists. At that time, they were talking about um, 10 million years for the creation of, uh, for evolution to do its process. When I was in school, uh, it was uh, uh, four and a half, uh, well, no, yeah, it was like a hundred, uh, several hundred million years, and now it's four and a half billion years. You know, they keep making the time longer. But uh, a fellow uh, mathematician, and we covered this when we did evolution, if you took every molecule or every atom of matter in the universe and put it reacting with each other at, I can't remember how many millions of times a second, there's still not enough time in four and a half billion years for evolution to happen by chance. Uh, Evolution is a mathematical impossibility. It is a logical impossibility. It's a scientific impossibility. The only thing that makes evolution work is a postulate, an unprovable statement. There is no God. Then all of a sudden, ah, well, evolution is the best we got, so we'll go with that. And, of course, we, we already discount that. Uh, but dispensationalism is simply a method of Bible study. Don't allow it to become any more than that or you'll get into trouble. This second dispensation, we see man directly approaching to God. He does not have a written word. There were no priests. There were no temples. There were no specific places of worship established. One thing that I find interesting here is between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 3.22, when we start this second dispensation, there is no explanation or instruction about the sacrifices. And uh, someone said, well, obviously God explained it. Yes, he did. When he killed the animals as Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. Adam and Eve saw what God did. Here's what changed. It was now man's responsibility to bring his sacrifices to God. This was something different. In the, in the Garden of Eden, it was the voice of the Lord that went walking in the cool of the day to have fellowship and communion with Adam and Eve. Now, things are totally different. We have at Cain and Abel bringing their sacrifices to God for his approval. The point here is that everything had changed from creation. Mankind was different. He was now a two-part being instead of a three-part being. The image of Seth was the image of Adam, no longer the image of God that Abraham was originally created in. And so we come down here, and let's just go through this, and I'll I'll try not to be too tedious here, but here are the differences. There's a new way to worship God. Man now brought his sacrifices to God, and we go to the book of Hebrews. And we will be spending some time as we study this, in the book of Hebrews, I, 
I, I love to call the book of Hebrews God's switchboard. It's, if you can remember the old days when the, the, uh, the operator sat there and actually took the phone call out of one bank and plugged it into another, that is what the book of Hebrews does. It takes every truth of the Bible and it plugs it in and makes a connection so that we can have an unbroken line of truth from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation chapter 22. The book of Hebrews makes those connections and look what it says in verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. Now, that is the testament. All that Abel did was he brought to God the same sacrifice that God had made as he cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, and God accepted his sacrifice. That puts Abel in what we call the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. He was being obedient. He gave testimony here, according to the writer of Hebrews, that he was righteous. And if we go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, I mean 4, In verse 5, it says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. God had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance falling? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well... Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, here's God speaking to Cain. He says, Cain, why why are you upset? God is telling Cain, you already understood the standard that God had set. So, Cain is without excuse. He says, if you do well, you're going to be accepted. If you will follow God's word. You see, this is one of the great problems of our day and time is people take the Bible and they say, well, I like this part and I like this part, but I don't like this part. God did not give Cain the opportunity to change God's word. He said, Cain, if you will do right, you will be accepted. And if you don't do right, sin lieth at the door. Now, if you pick up a commentary, they take this thing and boy, I mean, it just goes everywhere. I heard a preacher preach a sermon on one time. He said, sin lies at the door. You go out of this church disobedient to God and sin's going to catch you and destroy. And I'm sitting there going, Wow. Yeah, yeah, if you, if you choose to rebel against God, you're going to get in trouble. But this isn't the passage to prove that. Sorry. Here's what he's saying. If you don't do well, Abel's lamb's right outside the door of your tent. Go get one. 
He's, sin lieth at the door. The sacrifice for sin is not far. It's right there. All you have to do, Cain, is obey my direction that I have already given. Now, we know what Cain did, and we'll get to that in a minute. We have families established. We have men providing a living from working the soil. One of the things that is very different here is we have men living very long lives, and people criticize the Bible and say, how could someone live 969 years? And they they present all of these things. And how many of you have ever been up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and turned on uh, late night radio in New York City where they have those advertisements and health things? And uh, I remember one time uh, I was actually working on a crib because Andrew was on the way. And uh, so that was a long time ago. And I just had the radio on. It was about 2 or 3 in the morning. And this guy comes on and he says, Man can live to be a thousand years old. The problem is our vitamins. And the problem is we destroy ourselves. And he goes on all this crazy gunk. But I'm sitting there going, Well, the Bible said man lived a thousand years. 969 you know, maybe the crack pot wasn't that far off the pot. Amen? Uh, or the crack didn't run so deep. I don't know. But the simple truth of the matter is, can I choose to believe the Bible? Yes, I can. And by the way, people tell us that know these things, the aging process is what kills you. Do you know when you start aging? The moment you take your first breath of air. You grow, but once you reach a certain level, your body begins to destruct itself. It stops producing certain things, and and death is inevitable. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned. Uh, Methuselah, if you work out the math according to the Bible, he died the day that Noah and his family entered the ark. And so we, we uh, look at the earth being peopled. Uh, they tell us, those who are supposed to know these things, that the population of the earth before the flood could have easily reached two and a half billion people. This was not, uh, this was not a hundred people hiding in a cave somewhere in modern Turkey. This was uh, hundreds of thousands of people uh, advanced civilizations, they, they had done things. People say uh, they want to make up all of these things, but um, many people believe that the stories that are now Greek and Babylonian and Hebrew, not Hebrew, Greek, Babylonian, Egyptian mythology, were actually the lives of people who lived before the flood. And uh, where they get that is Genesis chapter 6. We might as well just touch on that. Uh, while we're here, uh, well, we're going to get to it in a minute. Let's keep going here. Um, and something else that was very different was this is the first mention of prophets and preachers. If you go to the book of Jude, way at the end of your Bible, the book of Jude, 
In verses 14 and 15 of Jude, there's only one chapter. Um, Andrew, I think we've got to change the channel on this thing again. We're getting interference. But uh, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now here's Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and Enoch also had another very unique distinguishing characteristic. If you'll read in the book of Genesis in chapter 5, it says Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. God translated Enoch at 362 years of age. Enoch is what we would call a picture or a type of the rapture of the church. Uh, Enoch walked with God and he left. And, and we can't take that too far because Enoch was the only one that went, not all the righteous. It's just an illustration God put it in there. It's one of those things that just makes you go, wow, that's different. Hey, God can do what God wants to do. Amen. And we follow this. And Noah, in, in the book of Second Peter, was called a preacher of righteousness. Noah tried to convince people to get on the ark. Wasn't very successful, was it? He got his three sons and their wives. There were eight people on the ark. If the world population was two and a half billion, that's a pretty scary percentage, isn't it? But we, we find that Noah did what God said. The rules that God had set up for the Garden of Eden were non-topical because you couldn't get back into the garden. God had put an angel with a cherubim there with a sword that turned every way to protect the tree of life. And so the the instruction that God had given Adam and Eve to dress and keep the garden no longer paid no longer were part of human existence because they couldn't get into the garden. And so we have this understanding that you do not go back once you go forward. Now we have the rebellion. Cain brings a false sacrifice and God refuses to accept Cain's false sacrifice and Cain says, I'll solve the problem. I'll kill Abel. Then God judges Cain. And what's Cain's response? My judgment is greater than I can bear. And uh, the Bible says that God set a mark on Cain. Now if you read... Anybody's old books, they'll talk about the mark of Cain. Could I challenge you something? The, Cain, the mark was on Cain, not on his descendants. And whatever was left of Cain's descendants died in the flood. None survived. The only living soul at the end of the ark was Noah his three sons, and their four wives. And I don't think Mrs. Noah, at 600 years old, was having any more children. At least we don't have any record of it happening. It was just Noah's sons 
that produced the families from which our present day population is numbered. So if you hear somebody talking about the mark of Cain and all of this, just write them off. Leave them alone. Don't try to refute them. Anybody that talks about that stuff is doing so because they're on purpose trying to make a point that is totally against anything in the Bible. And so the best way to deal with that is just walk the other way. Amen? Uh, Now, Genesis chapter 6. Let's go there for a moment. And, And I will tell you, that uh, there is so much crazy, crazy things from Genesis chapter 6. And and, uh, I will have to admit, if I'm honest, as a very young student in Bible college, I believed all those crazy things. Uh, I believed that the sons of God were angels and that all these kind of things were going on until I began to study my Bible and I found out that that understanding of the Scripture violates other passages. Doesn't it? What did Jesus say about the angels? He said they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Uh, So now we're contradicting the teaching of Jesus. Uh, By the way, look what it says here in verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with what? Man, he doesn't say, my spirit shall not always strive with angels. If the sons of God were angels, the the daughters of men seemed to be the innocent party in this thing. If we were to have one, they were the ones that were taken advantage of by these sons of God. And God is pronouncing the judgment on mankind. So that would tell us that the sons of God are men. Here's the simplest And the most biblical understanding of Genesis chapter 6 is simply this. These were men who set themselves up as the word is demigods or little g, little o, little d. And they began to pervert God's plan of marriage by having many wives of whom they chose. And that's not the way God ordained marriage. He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is is all that was going on. It says, but they're giants born to them. Yeah, that's true. But what does that word giant mean? Well, the word is... Uh, uh, the same word as giants and it talks about the Anakims and the Zazumans and, and, and all those people there and Goliath of Gath. Well, wait a minute. We got this little issue of the flood between Genesis chapter 6 and David's day. Now, don't we? And going into the land of Canaan. So there can be no physical connection. But if we take the meaning of the word as larger-than-life people, then what do we have? We have exactly what most of us believe is these stories of Hercules and Zeus and Porcupine and all of the terrible things that the Greek gods and goddesses did to each other were based in 
a reality of great wicked people who lived before the flood. That's why their history is not in the Bible. But those stories somehow got passed on and people would have put emphasis on those stories who disagreed with God. And there, there we have a simple basis and explanation for Hercules, which was a giant, amen, Orion, uh, many of these other people, the Greek gods, who actually got them from the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And by the way, if you will listen to your pastor, don't read Greek mythology. Please. It's filthy. It is depraved human behavior. And that's why I make this connection. It's just my opinion, but it does answer many of the questions. And it talks about the rebellion against God. Uh, If we'll uh, back up to uh, Genesis chapter 4, let's just read here. Uh, in uh, verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, not the same Enoch that walked with God, of course, and he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and unto Irad Mehujael, and Mehujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. And so you can count up the generations there. We got one, two, three, four, five generations from Cain. We have this guy named Lamech. Now, Lamech married two wives. And he murdered two people. And Lamech comes down to verse 24. And he says, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. And, and again, this is a verse the commentators just like to go crazy on. Very simple. God told Cain, whoever shall kill you will have sevenfold the judgment that you deserve. And Lamech said, well, I've murdered twice as many people as Cain did, so therefore God will protect me ten times more than he'll protect Cain. He's just saying, sin brings God's protection. That's how perverted his mind was. That's the process that led to the total corruption of mankind in rebellion against God. But I love verse one of chapter, oops, let me make sure I got it here. Um, not verse one, it's verse eight of chapter six. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is always looking. And flip your paper over there. God told Noah to build an ark. God sent the flood and destroyed everything that had breath on the face of the earth. We get down to chapter 8. It says, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. They were in that ark for near uh, just over a year. God brought the ark to rest. I guess there's been some new discovery in the mountains of Turkey. They claim they've 
found the ark of Noah. Could I, could I challenge you? Don't worry about that. If they found Noah's ark and parked it in Central Park, those who hate God would refuse to believe it existed, and those that love God would be dancing around saying, See there, that proves the Bible. And therein is the great error. We don't rest our faith in physical proof. We rest our faith in the God who gave us the Bible. Amen? Amen? Again, why do we do that? Because God always keeps and honors His Word. That's what He made Adam and Eve do. That's what He judged Cain by. Uh, the entire process here uh, uh, is God honoring His Word. God gave a promise that He would never destroy the entire earth with a flood again. And uh, let's uh, look here in verse 20. And Noah builded an altar of chapter 8, verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Now, how many of you got what God just added right here? We have day and night from creation. But did God talk about cold and heat? And seed time and harvest. You see, the seasons came into being after the flood. Uh, if you want to study this out, there's some pretty neat books that have been written on it. But that talk about how the earth changed after the flood. I always like to taunt the evolutionists. They talk about an asteroid and all living, the dinosaurs are all destroyed by fire. Wrong. It was the flood. It explains the fossil record, the climate change, why the big dinosaurs before the flood are little dinosaurs after the flood, why they couldn't uh, survive as well after, why the age of man was greatly reduced. All of these things can, can be studied and have been by people who... Uh, are, are supposed to know these things, but that's for a different day and a different time. But we have God explaining to man. Let's now, let's start reading here. He's going to give man new revelation. He just told him there's going to be seasons and that they're not going to cease and day and night is not going to cease and God is not going to destroy the earth by the way of a flood ever again and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth on the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea 
into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man, and you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spake unto Noah and his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there be any more a neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. How many of you have ever seen a rainbow? How many of you are upset with what people are trying to do with the rainbow today? I sure am. And uh, the simple truth is, God said, that is the symbol of a covenant that I have made between myself and every living thing on the earth that I will never destroy the earth with the flood again. So, when you hear our, our beloved freshman representative talking about the earth being destroyed by the melting ice caps and the flood, you know that they're just scoffing at the Word of God. That's, that's where it is. That's the purpose. has no other reason. The earth is not going to be destroyed by a flood. Uh, and it's not going to be destroyed by an asteroid, but uh, read your Bible, it is going to be destroyed by fire. And so, what we find here is that God institutes the seasons, which we still have today. Uh, we have the rainbow of God's promise. We have human government being set up. And what we have here is God is telling man that no longer 
am I going to allow you to be responsible for yourself as an individual, but men must come together as a society and take care of the ills of society. If a man commits murder, he should be killed. Now, we have those, especially our governor and his father before him, who despise capital punishment and tell how evil capital punishment is, and you're murdering the murderer. You're just adding murder to it. No. The Creator has the right to establish the standards of justice. And that's what He did here. So, if you have an argument against capital punishment, it is against God not against man. This is the primary purpose of human government, is to maintain the order of society and keep people from killing themselves. And if they do, then they must be punished. And it says uh, that, For in the image of God made he man. This is what we call the sanctity of human life. This is the issue that our present governor is scoffing at. He doesn't believe human life is any different until we say it is. I'm sorry, that's God's decision, not man's. And God set it up here right after the flood so that we can know God also gave the eating of meat. This was before the flood. Everyone was a vegetarian. And uh, I've had people argue and say, you know, what what about a bear? I mean, bears. Uh, Listen, if you go down to the butcher shop and get you the biggest, best pieces of Uh, raw meat and take them out and throw them in the woods right next to a berry patch. Where's the bear going? He's going to the berry patch every time. Uh, If he gets, if he finishes all the berries and he's still hungry, maybe he'll get the meat. But uh, bears are omnivores. They'll eat anything that is in front of them. And uh, the, the simple truth is, let's just follow what the Bible says. And it is okay to eat meat. It is, uh, I've met people who said, well, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian, and that makes me closer to God than you filthy meat eaters. I'm sitting there going, no, it doesn't. I, I'm just going to follow my Bible. Amen? And, and God said that we can eat fish, and we can eat beef, and we can eat rabbits, and we can eat all those things and enjoy them. And... God made a covenant with all mankind. Now, everything that God established in Dispensation 1 is still in effect. God has not ceased being the Creator. God has not ceased honoring His Word. God has not ceased being an involved Creator in mankind. Uh, Marriage is still continuing Man is supposed to be the leader in that relationship. The Savior is still coming, though it was not, would not be for many, many generations from now. Only God can solve the sin problem. Now we have seasons, we have a rainbow, we have human government, capital punishment, 
And God gives a command. You're allowed to eat meat, but you don't eat the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I'll tell you what, I wonder if doctors had been paying attention to their Bible, maybe George Washington would have lived a little longer. They were, he had pneumonia and they were bleeding him because they thought sickness was because of bad blood. Uh, and of course, it just weakened him and made his death come much quicker. But that is what man thinks and man tries. The world has never been destroyed by a flood since the day of Noah's flood. And God has kept his covenant for we still see his rainbow in the sky. Isn't that an amazing thought? All the way back, somewhere around 2400 B.C., 2400 years before Christ, the time of the flood, about 1600 years after the fall, uh, the best we can figure by taking the genealogical lines is given in the Bible, God gives us a promise. He says, I'm going to prove to you and every living thing that I am still in charge and I will never destroy all flesh with a flood again. Tell you what, I don't know about you, but when I'm driving and I see a rainstorm and I come out the edge of the front, I'm, I'm looking for rainbows. How about you? Years ago, we were in Montana going to a preacher's fellowship meeting just right outside Glacier National Park. And we came driving down this mountain road out of uh, Idaho. And the road dead-ended, teed, right into a lakeshore. And the most incredible rainbow I've ever seen, it was nice, my wife was with me, was a double rainbow Biggest, brightest thing. And you could actually see where it went into the face of the lake. The lake glowed where the rainbow went down and touched the water there. Uh, We didn't stop and look for the leprechaun's pot of gold. That's somebody else's story. The gold in truth is that God gave the rainbow promising life to all that lived. You know why? Because God is good. Amen? And so we... If, we'll st- if you would stop and think, how many problems do we face in our society today would be solved if we would just pay attention to the truths that God revealed to mankind in dispensations one and two? Could you say amen to that? You see, God knows what he's doing. After the flood, things are going to be different. And by the way, I forgot to mention, God made a difference between clean and unclean animals. He would accept now only clean animals and sacrifice. And so we see God narrowing things in scope. And everything that God did is a way to help us understand Just a little bit more about God. All God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives. That you would give us grace to understand your word and to keep it simple and 
to the point, and Lord, we look here and we see as things changed, they're going to change again after the flood. Yet, you did not trample on the truths that you had already shown to mankind, yet you built upon them. And Lord, we ask that we would build upon our understanding of your word as well. And we'll have the piano just play a verse of song. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. I know this isn't real invitation message, but we do want to give an opportunity if you want to come and pray.